Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and I am thrilled, jazzed, over the moon to be in conversation with my next guest, a professional jazz vocalist, arts executive, and the president and CEO of the DC Jazz Festival. Please welcome Sonny Sumter. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for making the time. And um, before we get dipped into the main theme of today's uh, interview, I want to hear a little bit about your creative origin story. I'm always interested to see, like, what was that part, you know, in the person's, like, uh, maturation process when they realized, oh, I like music, oh, I like jazz, oh, I like painting, what have you. What was that sort of um, start for you? And um, I have a second bullet point, but I at least want to start there. That's such a good question. It's a good entryway. So I used to... um I used to sing in a Catholic choir since I was in first grade. So I always knew I had a voice. And uh, at about nine years old, I used to braid my grandmother's hair. So I was braiding her hair, and she had Sarah Vaughn on the radio, on her. And I said, who is that? She goes, it's Sarah Vaughn. And I just listened. And every time I would come and braid her hair, I would say, can you put on Sarah Vaughn? And that hooked me. I knew. The jazz was going to be in my orbit in some way. So I went and studied at Duke Ellington. Duke Ellington um, has a strong classical program for vocalists, so not much jazz. They probably do now. And then I went to Howard, and, you know, that's when it really kicked in. So pretty early. Yeah. Uh, Early is, that's, that's what I'm noticing. Like, I, and, and thank you for, for, for taking us there a little bit, because um, there's a few other questions I have in that regard. Um, but I'll say, like, some of those, like, early moments, that's always the thing. Like, mm-hmm. when you can trace back, it's like, yeah, that was the first time, or that was informative, or that was just something that really directed me to this path. Mm-hmm. Um, I always look back at maybe middle school, maybe high school, somewhere in there, where we used to have... We, we didn't hoard, but we had things around the house. It's like, why do we have recording equipment? Nobody here's a musician. So I remember I stumbled across like one of these handy mics, and that was me first experiencing like storytelling, recording interviews and conversations mm-hmm. with cassette. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I read, you know, and, and seeing the background, you know, accomplished jazz vocalist, uh, minor in a jazz voice at, at Howard, um, and also the host of Jazz Central for BTJ. Um, so what does music, and we're speaking really macroly here, what does music, specifically jazz and the arts, mean to you? Wow, thank you for doing your homework. Um, you, you know, I'm at a point now in the jazz, in the jazz um journey, on the jazz journey, to call myself a jazz champion. So I really believe that jazz has a place um, so deserving of being loved by everyone, like if we just had avenues to get us there. So I have friends that started the Country Music Awards in Nashville because the Grammys just was not presenting country. So they did their own thing. It took a while. But look at him now. I just saw them on the, the, the television, and it was amazing just how uh, primetime that show has become and how primetime country is. I think that jazz has the same. And, and um, 
even on the Grammys recently, Samara winning new artist, you know, Robert Glasper winning R&B, yeah. John Glasper, uh, John Beasley won for um, a composition of, along with Jeff um, Keezer. So many jazz, Terry Lynn Carrington won. So many great jazz artists picked up Grammys. I think there is a, um, there's a, a an opening right now for us to really capitalize on, and, yeah. I'm be, and so I am personally <laughs> taking it upon myself <laughs> to make that happen. I, I immediately, when you said jazz champion, I immediately thought of like you holding the belt that just has like. <laughs> I think look, I love boxing. My ex-husband loved boxing and boxed himself, but yes, that's right. When I think of champion, I think of Rocky running around the room. <laughs> With my, with my belt on, and, and, winning. And there, there's a there's a preservation angle too there as well, where you know I, I go back and looking at um, what is it the uh, Chasing Train documentary or have you, mm. which I really dug. And you know I'll I'll say this and I've said it before. I was one of those guys. I was like, man, where's the hip hop, man? Um, I, I used to work with my dad, and um, he would always play um, WEAA. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, man, get Gary Ellaby off here, man. Where's the trap music? <laughs> and now, thank as, you, Dad. <laughs> now as, he's also Robert. Now as an adult, um, in, in, a, in an older adult, now like having sort of that awareness and appreciation of it, the only like physical media that's music records, if you will, are mm -hmm. jazz records that I have in the crib. I love that. So, yeah. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And jazz, look, it's a big umbrella, right? So there's a lot to pull from. And you, there's certainly enough, in, even in the hip-hop genre, with Kamasi and what Robert's doing and others, that you can really still um, dab your whole foot in some, some hip-hop there. Absolutely. <laughs> so we're recording this here at Eaton Radio. So we're in D.C. Um, so it be remiss if I didn't ask, how would you describe the D.C. jazz scene? So... Uh, Every year, the Washington Post puts out this article about jazz being a dying art form. I don't know why, but they do it every single year. And it's so far from the truth. Jazz in D.C. is thriving. It's thriving so much that I actually think it's one of the top hubs in the world for it. And I know that to be too true because musicians come here and they live because they can make a living. Yeah. And that will, that's how you know. Um, I do think because it's a conference town, you know, there's a lot of um, churches, there's just many opportunities beyond the club, beyond the concert hall, but beyond the festival, the performance space for jazz musicians to make a living. And so it is an incredibly thriving art. And what makes it incredibly unique is I think this, the, the go-go yeah. part of it as well is, you know, Chuck Brown, thank God, coming from North Carolina and landing in D.C., you know, bringing, uh, bringing, you know, just that wonderful conga with him and that cowbell, you know, <laughs> giving us the go-go. And I think that that has helped to cement jazz. Um, so where there may be people here that do big band or they may want to do um, just um, traditional swing in a, in a hotel lounge, there are also incredible artists that are playing jazz in, you know, at the 930 Club, you know, or at a coffee house just doing experimental jazz. A lot of free jazz with Bobby Hill and what he's doing with Capital Bob and what Gio and Luke are doing. So there's so many aspects of this 
music that you can go to, depending on your taste, yeah. that I think is really cool, not only for the jazz aficionado, for the, but for the casual fan of the music, too. So they come in like, hey, date night, let's go hear some jazz. It's cool. Let me get my cool points tonight. <laughs> well, that's, that may be a thing that I do here and there. <laughs> oh, and, and thank you, because um, I've been, in the last um, year, outside of like work-related stuff, but let's say for play, mm -hmm. um, I've been to New Orleans. It was partially work, but it was partially play. Uh, and I'll say the, the first thing that I had getting off the plane was music playing. It was mm -hmm. live music. It was a band right there mm -hmm. in the airport. I was like, that is fire. I was like, this is going to be great. And due to the nature of what I'm doing and speaking with artists regularly, I appreciate it in a much different way. And another very sort of, I guess, memory that sticks out was... I was in Nashville about this time last year and just went to some club, date night situation, and it was like some swing going on. Nice. And I was like, I was not expecting to be here. This is not on the itinerary, but we're here. The meal was fired, by the way, because, you know, that's part of it. And I think I proposed to the plate. That's how good it was. <laughs> but also just the music really set, set that background for us. And it, it was just like... One of those things that I'm going to always remember, but having that soundtrack kind of connected to it. So I think it speaks to the power of the music, power of sort of culture and connecting. That's right. I, I completely agree with the whole thing about culture and connection. And sometimes, you know, music does that for you wherever you go. It, it doesn't, it's just all music art forms. You know, when you go out and you have, whether it's a meal, whether you're going to the family reunion and then the, the big songs come out, you go out and you line dance and whatever yeah. it is. You know, you do find these, these, moments and they become your memories for life um, and I think jazz definitely has a has a um, has a place yeah. so you know let's let's dive in a little bit and talk about DC Jazz Festival mm. so can you tell us a little bit about the history core identity mission absolutely so the DC Jazz Festival started on a paper napkin in Adams Morgan at a restaurant called Cashins. Wait, what? <laughs> and it started with Charlie Fishman, the former manager of Dizzy Gillespie, and his wife, Stephanie Peters. Charlie is Jewish, Stephanie is African American, and she's an uh, attorney. At the time, she's working at Patton Boggs, now she's at Microsoft. And Charlie, Dizzy had recently passed, and Charlie, they were having a meal, and Charlie said, You know, why doesn't DC have a jazz festival? Now there had been previous jazz festival. Bill Worrell, who had DC Space, had a jazz festival here, a really fantastic one. The Spellmans, um, A.B. Spellman had a jazz festival here as well. There have been other attempts, but the magic number that they go away is about year seven. And so what they realized that the city was not behind the festivals here as they are. Um, behind the Cherry Blossom Festival, let's say, or Folk Life Festival. And so Charlie went and talked to some stakeholders in D.C. in 2004, and the festival was born. So it started in 2004 with 12 concerts on U Street. And Charlie said, you know, we need to be big like Montreal or like New Orleans. You know, he had this big vision. So he calls me up. I had performed at the next year, because I was still singing then, yeah. at the Monument, he started having them down at Sylvan Theater, that small little theater by the Monument, yeah. big ones there. And so I performed at one of them, I remember, because my daughter was, oh my goodness, she's like four. And uh, it was fantastic. So he calls me up, I was working at Aspen Institute at the time, and he said, 
you know, you should come and work and do partnerships for me because that's what I did for Aspen. I said, yeah, I'll help you. He goes, I need to build an education program and I want to build, I want the city to come together. I want everybody to know that, you know, they can be a partner. I want to be a coalescing force is what he said. So I came on board as a consultant and helped him figure out the education piece. We moved it to the Phillips Collection called Jazz and Families Fun Days. Nice. So we did that every Saturday and Sunday, and that, and that was like a prelude to the festival. The festival was in October, and the city said, move to, January, move to June, because in September, early October, it was Congressional Black Caucus. There was too much real estate happening with events. So the city said, move to June. So we moved to June, and for, we changed the name from Duke Ellington Jazz Festival, because that's Charlie really wanted to pay homage to Duke Ellington, right. yeah. Edward Duke Ellington. And we moved to June, changed it to DC Jazz Festival, and the rest is history. We went from 12 concerts to 24, to 50 venues, to 150. I mean, everything he, it's his vision. Yeah. Everything that Charlie envisioned, it came to fruition. Um, and so from there, you know, we outgrew Yards Park. We were there for four years, completely outgrew it. I mean, people were, it was like, when do you go to a jazz festival unless it's New Orleans, right, or Newport, because they have 50, 60 years. At that time, we had like nine years behind us. So we moved to the wharf. Mm. And it's still now a great problem, but we had 68,000 people last year. <laughs> wow, 68,000? 68,000. 1000 people. Those are those are ballpark numbers. <laughs> they are, but you know I talked a little bit earlier about the casual fan of yeah. the music. You know, the American culture is probably international cuz folks from international community are coming cuz jazz is a global brand. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people are are they like experiences, mm -hmm. right? They won't, and so sometimes even for the casual fans of music period, but let's say jazz since we're talking about that, they, the music becomes the backdrop to all the other fun things that are happening. They bring their girlfriend or wife, husband, they're bringing their, their families, their grandparents or children, and it becomes a, something that they build, another memory, right? Yeah. So, and I think that's what Jazz Fest is now. It's, it's wonderful, it's wonderful. And um, yeah, I think it's something really big about being in the, the experience thing, definitely, that's, mm -hmm. what, that's what people are looking for. Like, you know, it's this thing where it's always a challenge to get people to come out to mm -hmm. events. So if you get their attention, because you're fighting many things. Yes, you are. You're fighting social media, you're mm -hmm. fighting the real estate, you're fighting so many different things. But if someone is like, you know what, I'm going to go to this thing even for like a half an hour, even for an hour, whatever, mm -hmm. it's like, all right, better put on. What you got? What you going to put on? You know, mm -hmm. is, is that. Um, so could you speak on like, you know, a bit more like the, the programming within the, the festival? There's the education component. There's the um, Charles Fishman Embassy Series. So talk about that a little bit. So you said Charles Fishman because we named the Embassy Series after Charlie. Um, so the Charles Fishman Embassy Series, we are lucky in D.C. that we have more than any other place in the world. We've got Embassy Row. And then we've got other embassies that are just all around, and so it's a unique opportunity for us to bring um, jazz from all around the world. Because again, jazz is a global brand. Yeah. So we partner with embassies and we bring some of the most important artists. Good case in point is this amazing singer, pianist, bata player from Cuba named nice. Melvis Santa. And Melvis just, she's in Kitty Garrett's band now. 
Really? Yes. She just came to the United States. She had been touring with the, uh, an important horn player named Jan Jane Bunnett that used to, she thought it was her mission to chronicle Cuban jazz music. And so she would do, a, she would bring a lot of a Cuban artists. And one time she had all Cuban women in her band. Yeah. And Melvis, I met her for the first time when we did something at Six and I, Historic Synagogue, during the festival. Yeah. And it was fantastic. She was really young then. Um, she still is really young. But she can't, she's doing this thing at um, the Embassy of Cuba with us in a couple of weeks. Great. And we're excited about that. So that's our embassy series. We partner anywhere from the Embassy of Cuba to the to the French, the Italians, the Japanese, Canada, Morocco. I mean, we really do have a very rich partnership history um, that we are excited to continue. You know, as part of our year-round programming. The other thing is education. This morning, I did. Um, we did our Jazz Meets Go-Go teaching its connections for um, DC public and charter schools. So about 400 kids came to learn about the connections. They had been studying it as part of the music frameworks, that's part of the DC music standards. And so we put it all together in a neat bow, which makes it great for teachers because they get to teach it and then they can come to us for the demonstration part of it. So we like to, you know, the, when you and I were, were kids, Jet, um, music was in the regular school day, but yeah. that's not the case anymore. They don't, they're not teaching music huh. in the regular, it's, it's terrible. Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> so, and no, and yeah. people don't even know, but now the, the, we've got to change the laws because it is, it's just the, they're teaching to the test. So they, they took out music, art, dance, theater, and they've even taken out, in a sense, PE. That, I, I think that that is, very short-sighted. I think that that is... <sighs> Look at our kids. That's <laughs> that's the result. Yeah. Direct result of what we're doing in the classroom mm -hmm. is what's happening with our kids right now, tied to their the devices. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's the smartphones or at home, it's the video games. And, and, that's, and that's one of the things that, you know, I, I see with... It's the potential. And I think without, like, laws and stuff being attached. You know, I saw this thing about AI music. And mm. it's like, oh, yeah, I can sound like Jay-Z. And just like, this is a problem. And, you know, I remember this, 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 this conversation. I think they were talking with the producer, Young Guru, about this idea of, okay, we have laws preventing someone from taking my likeness and all of that stuff, using my content without my consent. But they could just take my voice. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's really weird. And I think people are saying it's nothing to worry about. It's like, no, 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 it is. There's absolutely something to worry about, and the copyright attorneys are all over it right now because there's absolutely something to worry about. And I think with even our kids just not having an opportunity to learn an instrument, mm -hmm. right, and to decide for themselves if they want to go into music, or it helps them just to develop their own cognitive skills. I know I learned, uh, I became a much better thinker on both sides of my brain from all the music that I learned in school. Mm -hmm. I know that. You know, and also the, even with PE, the fact that you have to go to after school to to, to do physical education, that yeah. just makes no sense. But back to um, the, the DC Jazz Fest education program, it was named for about seven years, it was called the Roberta Flack Education Program. Roberta Flack was on our board. Nice. And she and Charlie were very close. In fact, Charlie's son Moses, uh, Roberta Flack is his godmother. And so we named it for, she said yes, because she was a D.C. public school teacher. So we named it after her so that we could leverage the program to get people to understand, teachers, that we'll bring you the content, but 
kids need to know this because we grew up listening to, with Bill Cosby's, you know, having it um, in the background on the cartoons and other places. We could go at least go to record stores. You really have there are very few places you can go and hear jazz. Mm -hmm. So now that we're teaching it. The kids love it. We're in a lot of schools now, all over the city. Yeah. Uh, we, we, in addition to being in the school, we do have an after-school program as well, and then we do a story time with our earliest learners that help them to gain their skills around math and reading using these storytelling books and with Ella, Louis Armstrong, and things like that. So our education program is really rich, and we are excited to that that's actually probably 50% of our work. Because if, if our kids don't become musicians, they become our jazz fans. Yeah. And so, in, in a way, the essence of the education program is to build tomorrow's jazz audience. It's, it's, it's a version of like choose your own adventure. Yeah. I yes. dig it. I dig yeah. it. It's pretty fun. I, and, and, and as a, a secondary note, I got some definitely some, uh, some fest questions, some jazz fest questions, but. Um, it, it, I watch this show, I, you know, consume a fair amount of media, and I watch uh, Perry Mason, and Terrence Blanchard does the music for it. So I was like, yeah, this is definitely setting the stage. Mm -hmm. And I would ask this question, and it definitely connects. I was like, why don't we get more of this noir stuff set in this time? Because it lends itself to, this has to be the type of music that's mm -hmm. playing. It can't be like something anachronistic. That's right. It's like, oh, here's some trap music set in the 30s. That doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you know, I love that about Terrence. He, we gave him the um, DC uh, Jazz Festival Lifetime Award last year at, nice. at a big Let the Good Times Roll New Orleans party that we had at Arena Stage. And we gave that award to him because he's such a jazz champion. <laughs> um, and I love that he makes it, he finds his way to put jazz in every single genre of movie, mm -hmm. right? I mean, his, he's got a great manager, his wife. <laughs> Because and it's great. It's great for us because subliminally people are taking in those notes, mm -hmm. right? And so next thing you know, they're like, "Oh, that's jazz. Let me go hear some jazz tonight." That's that's the way that I look at like this podcast, and I to gas myself up. But the way I look at a lot of the stuff, I think you hear it. It's almost like you pull out that Shazam. Mm -hmm. What is this? It is an invitation for you to explore more. And I think that's the benefit of the education program, for sake mm -hmm. of argument, of the festival at large. Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like, look more for this particular artist, look more for this particular genre, explore. Re sit down, rest for a while, you know, enjoy yourself. That's right. So, um, so I have a few questions that relate to the annual DC Jazz Fest. Um, for, in your opinion, what what makes like what what are the the traits of like two I guess two to three like traits of a great jazz festival? Because like, you hear about the one in Montreal, you hear about all these different places, you have New Orleans. So what what are the hallmarks, if you will? So every jazz festival, every great jazz festival, I think is unique, and I think what makes it is that it really encompasses the culture of that town, of that city, of that state, of that country. I'm going to Umbria Jazz Fest in July. I'm going to take up all things Italian when I go there. I know it's going to be a ball. I think you do have to have a very cultural element that's centered around that, right? And then the other piece is I think it does have to be uniquely about that city. So in our case, mm -hmm. it is uniquely at the wharf. We do other events that are uniquely at an embassy that is at the Howard mm -hmm. Theater. All these really iconic places that people will come to D.C. to experience, and so um, I think what makes it what makes our particular festival 
that's so great right now is the diversity of the performers. Mm -hmm. And it's intentional. So we carefully, and, and I work very closely with our artistic director, Willard Jenkins, and also now we bring in an, art, an artist in residence, Orrin Evans from Philadelphia is our current artist in residence. And we want to make sure that when we're giving a menu of offerings to the jazz festival patron that's coming, that it is incredibly varied. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what people get excited about. Yeah. And now it's so interesting that people don't come to the D.C. Jazz Festival now even because they have heard the talent. They're saying, I'm coming to D.C. Jazz Fest because they, they know they're going to get it. Yeah. They're going to get the experience. Yeah. They're going to get the variety. They're going to get the iconic places and um, of D.C. And, and I think that's why they come. Now, this year, we're bringing Gregory Porter, <laughs> and he's coming to the anthem. To see him at the anthem is going to be magical. <laughs> Let's just be clear. And then Samara Joy, yeah. this young, gorgeous 23-year-old. She's so timeless. Her voice is incredibly timeless. She's going to be outside at the wharf on an outdoor stage, not in a cocktail lounge, yeah. you know, where people can sip on a martini and watch her do her thing. She's going to be in a big stage. I love that. That's great. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we have Arturo O'Farrell in the Afro-Latin Jazz Ensemble closing it out. Two years ago, we did D-Nice, who closed it out. Mm -hmm. He did at a jazz-inspired dance party. People went crazy. Nice. Last year we did Chuck Brown Band. We wanted to give him go-go. This year is going to be salsa. <laughs> and and, and I, I love, going back for, for a moment, I love that that the notion of like you know folks are coming to you know DC Jazz Fest but it's also like they're coming to DC mm -hmm. so they're having coming to DC. having that sort of component because mm -hmm. you know i think that's that's the way that, that cities, or in this case a district, uh -huh. but in cities and communities kind of keep their identity by That's embracing right. what that is versus right. sort of a, a rebrand where you have cities, oh, we're going to do what D.C. is doing. Mm -hmm. Now that's nope. D.C.'s thing. Doesn't work. We're going to do what New Orleans is doing. That's New Orleans' mm -hmm. thing. Do your own thing. Do your own thing. Make it your, make it your own thing. Mm -hmm. Embrace it. Mm -hmm. And then the people will come. They will come. And they will. You know, Destination D.C., which is the tourism arm of, of D.C., Elliot Ferguson is the president and CEO, is on our board. And then Events D.C., the president and CEO, Angie Gates, who used to run the film and music and entertainment, she's now their president, also on our board. And what's really special is that they have the hashtag like, hashtag my DC cool. They've been running that hashtag for years because it works. DC yeah. is cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we use it because jazz is so cool in DC, so it just fits. Yeah, it's just so many cats there. And jazz oh, yeah. just, <laughs> and just so, so many cats. <laughs> the cats come out. So I got a couple more questions here. Um, and, and so in, in preparation for just the festival, like, you know, something this magnitude, could you, like, walk us through, you know, that, that, you didn't have to go too deep, but just what does it look like, let's say, nine months before Jazz Fest? Mm. What does it look like three months before Jazz Fest? I want to get into your mind. <laughs> what does it look like 11 months before Jazz Fest? So we, you know, we go about the business of, of um, the good news is for, for our festival this year is that we've just passed a board-led five-year strategic plan. And that allows us to start planning two and three years. We've never done that. And we need resources to do that, other things. So we are embarking on this big capital campaign for, for our institution because we're just that big and important. Yeah. So 
but right now we are planning we start planning for the next year in December which is pretty much 10 months out right yeah. and um, and then we start we, we, we hire our we make offers to our headliners right in this case it was Gregory Porter Samara um, and then we start to then comps, work it from there. We build actually a, a map and start to say, okay, who do we want to look? We make sure that we include, um, make offers, and Willard does a fine job of this, of thinking about some of our um, elders, like Big Chief Donald Harrison from New Orleans. Yeah. He's coming. You know, or the great bassist Dave Hollins bring Kevin Eubanks. It's part of history over yeah. Eric Harlan. They're coming. Carolyn Carrington's got this big social justice project that she's doing. She's come. You know, so we said, okay, look how varied. You start to map that out, right? So we made, we, we did all those offers, got those contracts in, announced that, uh, did our first announcement. We always like to announce, do a save the date so that people can just start saving the date in February. Yeah. And then we started building that second tier. Still all headliners, Arturo Farrell's up there with everybody else. Um, Etienne Charles and the Creole Soul. I mean, he's from Trinidad. He's going to bring a big old Trini party. I can't wait. <laughs> I love me some Etienne. Um, and we start building that. And then we start thinking about our, our DC artists because some of the best artists, jazz artists in the world, happen to reside here. Some of them are in some of the most important jazz bands in yeah. the country, and they live here. So we shine the spotlight on DC. We probably. Um, about 150 artists we employ from the D.C. area. Nice. Something that we really are, are excited about. Then we start making sure that the venues are in order. Because sometimes with our venue partners, they won't let us know till six months before that they're on board. I don't know why, but that's the case. The Wharf is good. We've got a five-year contract with them. Yeah. So the, we, the Wharf is always the last um, two days. But, and then we do Union Stage, which is also down at the wharf. So we check out the indoor venues. We're going to use Arena Stage since we're home there now. We'll do some big <coughs> events. And we have um, the Anthem. But then, we okay, where are we going to do our embassy events? So we're going to do one at the House of Sweden, mm -hmm. which is down lower Georgetown. Fantastic venue. Um, and then, you know, here at Eaton, we're yeah. going to be here. You know, I'd already lined up. Andrew was one of those ones. Like, Andrew, can you return my call? You know, because people get busy with other things. But Andrew's one of the ones. We try and make sure that we're all around the city. The big thing that we're, another big thing we're doing is we're doing a jazz hop in Anacostia, Anacostia Big Chair. Um, and that's where we're going to mix jazz and go-go. It's going to be four bands, all these vendors, yeah. four different um, um, venues down there and with um, outdoor venue uh, uh, vendors selling you know anything from Jamaican food to you know African clothes or you know it's gonna be really fantastic and that's on Friday the first and then we just sort of then okay what else is missing we got to get up uptown so we go to Tacoma Park we're doing something at Tacoma station and then the parks we wanted to have we wanted to have another outdoor venue so um, the parks at Walter Reed which yeah. is the old veterans hospital they've they've got a great venue out there with this wonderful atrium for music we're gonna do a big um, concert there so wow. we just start lining it up and yeah. the next thing you know we've got that's six months in so here that's where we are now now we start to make sure our production teams in place our seasonal workers or volunteer recruitments in order and that three months is when it starts <laughs> it starts really countdown to jazz fest wow I mean that is it's robust it's robust and it's a small team we have a small team that works on this. And, and definitely, uh, I'm hearing just is very much 
part of the community. It's very much yes. in the different pockets mm -hmm. that make up this district or what have you. And, mm -hmm. you know, shout out to y'all. That's, that's, that's Thank great. Thank you. That's I embrace great. it. You know, I'm a Washingtonian. I, I grew up on Morris Road in Southeast DC. I am a DC girl all the way. And so I love this town. And to be able to just really have a place where people from all over the world are coming to Jazz Fest. And yep. they're, they're not just staying at the wharf. They're going to the other venues. Right. And they're going to the other neighborhoods. And every neighborhood's a little different. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's really cool. It's, it's a cultural, it's a, as they use in a sort of umbrella way, there's mm -hmm. an impact conversation that happens there. So I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of interest and a definitely a lot of uh, reasoning behind having festivals such as this mm -hmm. being a part of the city, being That's a part right. of the district. And That's right. So this is the last real question. Um, could you speak to the importance of you know festivals? I was kind of teeing it up a little bit. Um, well, the DC Jazz Festival, when as it relates to um, you know the health and the preservation of jazz. It's such a great question. It's so loaded too. I mean, we could spend a whole conversation just talking about that. So I think that um, festivals are economic drivers for cities. So the reason why the government will invest in a festival, because they know that there's going to be people staying in hotels, there's going to be people going to restaurants, there's going to be people using transportation, taking taxis, shopping, all these things. And so the f I think that the first and foremost, a big festival like ours, that's what we are. We are an economic driver. So mm -hmm. we do an economic impact study every year mm -hmm. so that we can, and George Washington does it so it's independent. George Washington University School of Business does it for us. And we present that to the city every year so they have an idea of just you know, how much people are spending on dinner on average, how many yeah. nights people are staying at a hotel on average. So that's one piece um, that I think for a city, I think also that it gives um, a, a, an opportunity to really talk about the culture of the city, which we've been talking about on the show, yeah. throughout this, this show. It's really that every city is unique. And so for us, for DC, DC used to be Chocolate City. So, so we're going to have this conversation. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> it used to be, and a lot of us have moved. I live in Silver Spring now because I cannot afford to live in D.C. I'm CEO of the D.C. Jazz Festival, and I cannot afford to live in D.C. I tried. <laughs> I tried to buy a house here. Couldn't afford it. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, but in, with us being this legacy of D.C., I'm third generation Washingtonian. There's so much about Chocolate City with go-go music, with so much, the restaurant, the food, you know, the southern cuisine that's here. It's now a cos cosmopolitan city, yeah. and it is more of an international city, but it's, there's still an underpinning of black culture that mm -hmm. is and remains D.C. that I think our festival touches on. And I would say that a lot of other festivals in D.C. also have that element, which I think is important. Yeah, it is. And I think even for the transient um, person that comes here and lives here for a couple of years, they get that and they love it. They're part of it. Yeah. So where the real estate might be going up and so we can't live here, we, we spend a lot of time here. And festivals, um, you know, for, for the DC Jazz Festival gives us an opportunity to set, to employ our mm -hmm. jazz artists, to employ, um, to provide a space for people to come and spend money at a lot of places that are maybe, you know, for 
nine, ten months out of the year are just making it, just paying their bills. But when they have big festivals like Cherry Blossom, mm -hmm. like Jazz Fest, like Folk, Folk Life Fest, people are coming into the city and then they're going to these establishments and spending money. So I love that we can actually do that. And for the, the big thing is just to really have this great opportunity to celebrate. Right, and to just have this experience where you can bring your family, your friends, you have a reunions, people that come and have their family reunions, have their university, you know, their their college reunions at Jazz Fest, <laughs> and it becomes a memory making moment for them. I think all that is really what's you know the essence of what festival making is all about. And I actually took a class on it too, so all that's in there. <laughs> I actually teach a class on that now. But yeah, it's, I think it's um. It's important. You know, I know I love a good fest. I'm, I'm going to one this summer. <laughs> I mean, verified, stamped, approved. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I want to hit you real quick with three rapid fire questions I got for you. Ooh, rapid uh, fire. You know, as people say, don't overthink it. Just don't overthink it. It's okay. they're fine. Okay. Um, since we had to start this off by you getting some caffeine, I must ask, how do you take your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> I take it. As a, as a latte dirty. I take it as a chai latte dirty, so I get my shot of espresso in there. Same, same. I, I'm a dirty chai guy. I was like, let me get that. Let me get two of those. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, I'm going to save the more controversial one for ladies. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, what are you listening to at the moment? Oh, I'm listening to so much right now. Oh, my God. So I'm listening, honestly, to Roy Hargrove because he was a good friend of mine. And, you know, I get, when I get into really the nitty-gritty of my festival making, yeah. he inspires me still, even though he's no longer with, him, with us. So I, I've, he's, I've got him on Spotify right now. That's a great answer. Oh, Spotify. Huh? Uh, <laughs> this is the, now, this is the last one. Name that one album that you could listen to for the rest of your life. Ooh. I know, I know, I know, I know. Oh, my God. Songs in the key of life. That's a good answer. It's a really good answer. <laughs> I'm done. I my kids know this that when I'm on my deathbed, hopefully I'll be at home <laughs> in my you know. That's what I want on. Yeah. I love me some Stevie Wonder. He okay. makes me happy whenever I get in the mode where I need to be lifted. Yeah. If I can't go out walk and go hiking because I do a lot of that too, Stevie lifts me up. I I started off an interview. With, uh, with a musician. Actually, yesterday, I was trying to channel Stevie when he, uh, what was it? He introduced Dizzy Gillespie on Do I Do. <laughs> I tried to channel that in my introduction. Do you have it? Do you have it on tape? Do you have it? It's, it's, it's what the, it's what the, I'll make sure you hear it. <laughs> he was like, were you doing Do I Do? I was like, I did. It was actually, it was actually uh, Larry Jenkins from uh, TCU. No, <laughs> TSU, TSU. so cool. Um, so that's actually it for the podcast, but I wanted to, um, one, thank you for coming on and spending some time with me. And um, two, I want to invite and encourage you to share anything you want in the final moment, social media, website, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. So um, dcjazzfest.org is a wonderful place to learn about all things Jazz Fest. So be sure to, you know, whoever's listening, go and, and join the mailing list there. Also, um, 
go hear some jazz. You know, jazz is everywhere. It's in your restaurant when you're eating a meal. It's at the church when you're having, getting your um, your your church on. It's it's at a, in a at a park in the summer. There's all these uh, summer concert series that happen in parks, and a lot of them have jazz themes. Um, they're at festivals. Um, they are in performing arts. The the, the you know natural places, performing arts centers, but they're also in community centers. And so please go hear jazz and introduce yourselves to artists, learn, you know, discover a new artist. Yeah. Uh, and because jazz is really something, there is something for everyone. And then I want to just give a shout out to my beautiful two children who are graduating. Layla's coming out of <laughs> Spelman, senior. Love you, Layla. And my son's graduating from Gonzaga High nice. School. So they're both graduating for the first time at the same time. That's really cool. And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Sonny Sumter from the DC Jazz Festival for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's arts and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it.